Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection, as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the AcmeCast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Three decades ago, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers captured my imagination. Like many of my fellow 90s kids, I watched after school, joined the official fan club, and of course, collected the toys. Eventually, I put those toys away, but the flame of my Power Rangers fandom never died. Now, in this milestone 30th anniversary year, I am re-examining the show, its legacy, and the tale of its most legendary ranger across media. It's time to get back to action. Welcome to Summoning the Zords, a Power Rangers fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the Power Rangers video games for Super Nintendo is returning guest, Jeremy Frontkin. Welcome back. Anthony, those of you who have heard me podcast with you before expect me to start every episode with uh, uh, a soundbite, a quip, some you know dad joke that I'm slinging out here. However, I just want to say that this is the first time in the years and hours and hours and hours and over three states that we've been podcasting together that we're doing it in person in the studio. I think that's pretty special and pretty cool. So I'm just going to say it's really good to be here with you in person and uh, I'm happy to be here today. Yeah, no, I'm so happy to have you here and, and especially to talk about Power Rangers and, and a Power Rangers video game in particular because I know that video games are a passion of yours. I know you continue to play, you continue to write articles on video games. And so I'm, I'm excited to get your insight into this because my knowledge and experience really only goes so far and will only get us so far. So I'm happy to have you here. And for anyone who also listens to my other podcast, Taking for Kryptonite, you were on not too long ago. We did a really fun episode on the death and return of Superman video right. game for Super Nintendo. And that was that was such an experience for me going back to that game that I played as a kid that's based on the comic book story that got me into comics, that got me into Superman. And so mm -hmm. to go back to it, to finally complete it, and then to be able to have the kind of conversation that we had was really, really special and no pressure. But I, I, think, we'll, I think we'll hopefully achieve something uh, along those lines here. So I'm excited to get into it. Oh, I'm excited too. I mean, this is a classic chocolate and peanut butter situation here with me. You know, you get something that I love like Power Rangers, you get some video games. I'm here and I'm happy as a clam. So again, we're going to have a lot of fun here. And whether, one of the things that I like how we approached that episode we did on uh, Digging for Kryptonite with the Superman game for Super Nintendo is that we made it so that, yes, even though I am, uh, you know, very entrenched, in all things video games, whether it is the writing of articles, I've voice acted in a bunch of them. Um, I'm still number one and above all else, a huge fan and still an avid gamer. Even with my limited time, I squeeze it in. Uh, you don't have to be a gamer to, I think, appreciate that conversation. And that's what I love about these conversations that we have about games. Because, you know, one of the things you've heard me say before, and anybody who knows me knows I repeat, is that video games are for everyone. And that includes if even maybe, even if you haven't played a video game since the 90s, maybe this will bring back some of those memories right? Some of those feelings you had, because like all properties and all the nostalgic business that we're in here, it's important, the topic we're talking about the games, but it's even more important about how it made you feel, right? And very obviously this particular game in this universe made us feel a certain type of way. And that's why we're talking about it today. And I think that's pretty special. Well said. And I echo that. And it's, it's funny because my, my gaming history, knowledge, experience, it's sort of like preserved in this era here, because as, as you know, we've talked about before, Super Nintendo was the first system that I ever owned. And I had a bunch of games for Super Nintendo and I played 
during my elementary school years. And then I got a PlayStation and I played that for a bit. By the time PS2 came out, I had a few games for it, like half a dozen games, but mostly I was using it as a DVD player at that point. Or a which, Blu-ray player? Was which, it, wait, was that a Blu-ray player? So it was one of the first DVD players okay. as well, too. It might have added the Blu-ray feature later on in, in the end of uh, the cycle. Fun fact I'll throw in here, too. PlayStation 2, still the highest selling console of all time. And that is because PlayStation has and continues to have just an incredible first-party lineup of games. But also it was really being used as that DVD player. It added that feature at kind of the perfect time. So you're not alone. There are people I'm willing to bet somewhere across the country, across the world that are still using their PlayStation 2 as DVD players. So, I mean, it's a great feature, great innovation of its time. Yeah, right, right on. And and so I think what one of the things that maybe kind of helps me in this respect, going back and looking at the games that we're going to talk about is that I have not continued to game. I mean, I am aware of the incredible advancements in terms of the graphics, the technology, the motion, the storytelling, mm -hmm. how sophisticated and, and involved it's all gotten. But for me, you know, I, I look at these games and that's what I know a video game to be. So there's no sort of, of shock when I go back and look at this and it's like, oh my God, look how, you know, how limited or primitive or whatever you want to call it. There's none of that for me. I look at this and it's like that, that to me is what a video game is. It's that sure. side scrolling beat sure. em up style. So, uh, it'll be funny, but I'm, I'm very curious to get your take, especially as you've seen the video games, uh, evolve so much over all these years. So just to kind of lay out for people exactly what we're talking about. So 1994's Mighty Morphin Power Rangers video game. And this was the very first video game that I ever owned, it was Christmas of that year. And I got the Super Nintendo. I was seven because we were still in our the apartment that we lived in when I was first born. We moved to our house later that spring when I was eight. So I remember getting that Super Nintendo and there was a Mario Brothers game. I forget offhand exactly. Probably Super Mario Brothers World. Okay. It's the one where it has the yellow cape on it. Okay. That, that tracks. I'm going to go with that. Uh, but I remember it was one of those games and the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers game. So this one definitely holds a special place, as I've been talking about now for many episodes on this podcast. Obviously, was so into the world of Power Rangers. Love the franchise, love the characters. And now this was my entry point. Well, not total entry point, because I had played video games. Friends of mine had primarily Nintendos. I remember playing Nintendos at other houses and maybe a little Super Nintendo. But still very early on in my video game, what would prove to be a short-lived video game career, uh, but this until, was just until now, until course. now. Yeah. But it was just such a perfect, a perfect combination. And I, you talk about the personal component to all of this. And I still remember vividly playing that Power Rangers game yeah. over the holidays when I first got the system. So it's very near and dear to me. So I think that'll probably end up being the, the primary focus of our conversation. But we also took a look at the following year's Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie video game, also for Super Nintendo. It was on other platforms as well, but that was the one uh, that I had and that I took a look at again now. And I don't, I don't want to speak for you. I didn't do a ton of uh, playing of this in, in recent days, nor do I have a ton of memories of these games from when I was a kid, but I did also take a look at the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Fighting Edition game, yep. as well as the Power Rangers Zeo Battle Racers game, which was... Kind of baffling to me. You broke my brain. I had to stop what I was doing and go jump into that. But yeah, <laughs> uh, tremendous, tremendous. So, you know, there's, there's so many, so many different directions we could go in, but I guess for you, I mean, just as a starting point, did you play these as a kid and what memories did you have of them? Yeah. So I definitely, uh, so I've owned, uh, let me start with this. So you kind of hit the nail on the head as well too. What's important, I think for the sake of this conversation is that as was the case with most of the games and even with, you know, most 30 third party games now, you know, deals and whatnot aside, these games did come out across a multitude of systems, sometimes, you know, four to five different systems, right? Super NES, uh, at the time, the Genesis. Uh, maybe I think this game also came out on the Sega CD. I read too the portable version on the Game Gear. What's interesting about that is that nowadays, if a game comes out for let's say Xbox and PlayStation, right, you're fundamentally getting the same game more or less. There were definitely differences between different games, very commonly and notable differences. So when you talk to people who are still avid gamers from the 90s or collectors, they're saying, oh, well, the Genesis version actually had, you know, the superior music, right, was a common thing. Or maybe like the graphics, or maybe there was even a different level you'd see. And of course, for something like the Game Gear, which is, you know, a much smaller system with smaller capabilities, you'd get an entirely different game. 
a lot of times, especially if you were getting something on a Game Boy as well too. So for the sake of this conversation, and we're definitely focusing on the Super Nintendo versions because I was also firmly a Super Nintendo kid uh, as well too. My best friend had the Sega Genesis. It was a perfect matchup. You always wanted that in the 90s. With somebody who had one, somebody who had the other. Every other day you go to each other's houses, you switch. Uh, we were we were living large. We were living large back then. But yeah, so focusing on the, uh, the Super Nintendos, and uh, I'll throw this out here too, that for a very long time, my answer to my favorite system of all time was the Super Nintendo. I owned the NES before that as well, but like you, being of a certain age as we are, our real formative years uh, are so attached to those magical moments playing on that system. So I definitely owned and played through uh, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers game as well, which is, as you already touched upon, the kind of thrust of our focus here. Um, and uh, I remember really enjoying it. I love that you shared that your your memory on Christmas morning of that. Because one of my favorite things to do is on uh, these video game Twitters or Instagram feeds that I follow is seeing all of those photos uh, of kids on Christmas and they're unwrapping like their system of a Super Nintendo or maybe a Nintendo 64. And, you know, it's just um, like we were talking about. It's it's the feeling, right? Even more so of the game of being of a certain era. It's completely uh, uh, attached to that. You were saying, and again, for somebody who claims to be out of touch with gaming, you said it perfectly. That, you know, video games have had all these advancements in storytelling and graphics and acting and mocap and all that great stuff. But there is also a huge renaissance over the past 10, maybe almost 15 years of indie games and smaller games that are still keeping the style that we're talking about today. People of our age who said, no, these games make me feel this way, just like they make us feel this way with this game, right? And uh, even this particular genre, so this particular genre being a uh, side-scrolling beat-em-up game, uh, is even seeing a resurgence now. So in a way, this is actually very, very timely. Another huge property, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, just had a game release last year that was phenomenal, that basically was a new Super Nintendo game version of exactly what we're seeing here. It did great. They did wonderfully. It's a gem. So uh, even though it does seem like it's a moment in time, it is very timely in that way too. I would say that it never goes out of style, games of uh, you know, kind of this presentation. That's cool. I, you know, that, I'm glad you brought that up because I was one of the things I wanted to ask you because, you know, we're also both comic book fans. You know, we, we've seen instances of, you know, comic books done in the style of a previous era or something like mm -hmm. that. And so I was curious if that was happening in the video yeah. game space oh, yeah. as well. And that's that's really cool. Uh, oh, man, it would be cool to see something in the in the realm of Power Rangers. I would be shocked. I would love to see, and the, the creator's names are escaping me off the top of my head, but the good folks who did Teenage Mutant Turtles uh, Shredder's Revenge uh, last year, that was so wonderful. They keep getting, you know, what property are you guys going to do next? And I would think on their short list, they would have to have Power Rangers on there due to popularity and to how perfectly it lends itself to this genre as well, as well too. So uh, there is actually, and I'm kind of uh, maybe jumping to uh, the present day, but there have been more recent Power Ranger games as well, too. But I think the real sweet spot would be that special kind of format that we grew up with as well, too. So I, I wouldn't bet against it. Yeah. I wouldn't bet against it. Well, we'll keep an eye on that because, of course, as we've been discussing, we're in the 30th anniversary year of Mighty Morphin generally. And next year, 2024, will be the 30-year anniversary of this Mighty Morphin game. So I got to go take some ibuprofen. You said that. My goodness. Yes. I, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> believe me, the, the, the passing of time is <laughs> well aware of doing these podcasts. It's like, oh man, 30 years. Yeah. You know, we had the once and always special for the 30 year yep, anniversary. Yep. So it, it makes you feel old, but it's also, it, you know, it, it's been great to, you know, once and always is a, is a great example. And it would be wonderful to see something on the video game side uh, as well. So that Mighty Morphin game you have the experience with. And then what about the movie game? So the movie game, if I had played it, and I think it's an entirely possible I did, didn't have that same remembrance and connection. I did jump in uh, for a few levels as well too. Um, again, uh, not to go too forward in time here, one of my big compliments to that game is I'm glad that it's co-op. I think those games shine when they have uh, co-op capabilities. And that's the fun of it, right? You're going in there with a friend, you're the Power Rangers together, you know, going through this journey together as well too. But other than that, no. My, my primary, uh, at least of the era as a kid playing was that first game, same as you. So now is my ignorance showing? So when you say co-op, so if you had sure. a second player, you could both be you could both play together. That is one hundred percent correct. Yes. So it's what's now um, retroactively affectionately called couch co-op, right? Because if you tell uh, co-op now to anybody playing, they're just you know playing online, right? Whether it's a any system, right? You're playing online. However, 
you know, a lot of developers still of our age are focusing on that couch co-op experience because there is something special as is special today. Me being in the same room with you, having remotely recorded so much, there is something special about being in person with there and doing something with a friend, right? And the same idea uh, applies to these games. So yeah, so if, let's say you and I, it's the 90s. I'm coming on over. I'm opening the fridge. What do you got? Sunny D? Sweet. Okay, cool. You know, we got no homework. I'm coming downstairs. We got the Super Nintendo. We got two controllers. They're both plugged in. You can choose one character. I can choose one character. We're both on screen at the same time. And we're going through and playing every level together. And that to me is where, you know, the sweet spot is as well too. That's very cool. That's yeah. very cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I definitely, like I said, I, those, the Mighty Morphin and the movie games, I have very specific memories of the Mighty Morphin game in particular. I remember, you know, I was never, I was never great at video games. And the only reason I'm now able to get through both of these games is because of using uh, cheat codes. And I know we had a whole discussion of this when we did the Superman game oh, yeah. where you know, I wanted to preserve as much of the authentic experience as possible. And so I think for the Superman game, maybe I did infinite lives. So it's like, I was still dying. I was still going through that experience, but then I would, you know, I wouldn't have to start the whole game over. Maybe something like that here, especially for the movie game, I had everything (laughs) like unlimited health, unlimited uh, energy. So I could morph instantly at the beginning of every level because I just, and it's, and it's funny. I, and I'm sure, I mean, I know, even though this has not been my experience, but you know, for certain gamers, it's like, you know, it's, it's, you know, testing yourself and it's, you know, being able to, uh, you know, accomplish, get through the game. Mm -hmm. For me, it was more just, I just want to see this. I've never gotten through these games (laughs) and it's not like it's haunted me over all these years, but anytime I think about it, it's like, oh yeah. And I know on YouTube you can watch, you know, gameplays and everything. Mm -hmm. So at least there's that, but I, I I wanted to experience it. But for me, it was really just, I just want to get through this. Um, not, 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 not to make it sound like it was such a chore, but I just wanted to just see the game more than anything else. So I, I did cheat a lot, especially with the movie, but, uh, but I do remember, again, I wasn't great. And with that first Mighty Morphin game, I really struggled just in that first level beating the final boss with the, with the bones, Yes, especially because as you make your way through, you know, he, he continues to live on and eventually it's just the floating, the floating skull. Yep. And I remember it was early and it's just weird because I'm. I have never been an early morning person, but for this moment in time, I was as a kid, uh, having recently gotten the game. And I remember I was up early and I was playing. I finally beat that first level. And I remember running into my parents' room and like waking them. I was like, I beat the game. And I don't, I don't remember that they had much of a reaction. They're probably like, all right. And see that, and I don't want to cut you off. That is why I love video games in a snapshot. Like that is such a fantastic story of your love of video games and of, Power Rangers, right? Of those properties. That's what I love. Yeah. That's fantastic. And I bet you, you know, they'd still remember that, right? You'd still, you know, if you ask them, still running in and waking them for better or for worse. That's amazing because that's how you're excited for. And again, for somebody who claims to be out of touch with video games, you again kind of hit one of the nails on the head here where there are two different, you know, styles of how we play games even today. You know, there's a whole genre of games, uh, most notably from a, a company called FromSoft, who makes games that are legitimately in the art of the old school NES really hard games with modern graphics and all that stuff. And the whole thing is those games are very difficult, but when you beat it, you get a sense of pride. On the flip side, there's a whole push towards accessibility where I'd say the majority of games coming out now do have a story mode, an easy mode. And I used to be one kind of player. And now as a dad who's now in his late thirties, I'm not even in my mid thirties anymore. um, A lot of times I just want to go and have a good time. And I think those are all valid ways to play when we're talking about accessibility, about where you're at in your life and your time, or just what you want your experience to be. Um, so I think all of those ways are valid. And I love that sense of accomplishment you had from beating uh, that first boss. It's just such a tremendous video game story as well, too. So it's, it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, the memory, you know, that's definitely something that's really stayed with me. So we had... Uh, again, that was 94 and 95, those first two games. And then also in 95 was the fighting edition of Mighty Morphin Power yes. Rangers, which prior to preparing for this episode, if you had asked me, did that exist? I would have said no. But then as I was playing it, it it was coming back to me. So this Same. is where you're just, you're just like Zord battles. But I, I, you know, but now I'm wondering, it's like, did I own it? Or maybe a friend had it. Like I definitely played it, but the memory is really not as vivid. So I, I don't, I wonder if I actually owned it. There was another game that came out around that time for the same system called King of the Monsters. And the same, it was the same idea, right? Pretty much that there were these giant creatures fighting each other. 
I think maybe like when I was playing it at first, I was like, oh, I just like pretended that they were like Zords or creatures from Power Rangers. But now after playing this, I was like, wait, or was I actually, this game exists. Like, was this the game I was actually playing? So it definitely kind of unlocked uh, that kind of same core memory within me as well. Yeah. And I mean, I can say I played a lot of it over the past few days. I just, I did a couple of, a couple of battles. It's cool. I mean, I'm definitely, it's definitely the sort of thing where it's like, I'm glad this exists. It makes perfect sense. Sure. And it's really cool. I was more interested in the other games because I had more of the connection and, even though there's really no narrative, which is a big, big problem that I had and I want to talk about. But very different than the Superman game. Very different. Yeah. Very different. But there was at least, at least you felt like you were working towards something as opposed mm-hmm. to just doing the battles. But it's a cool, I mean, it's definitely cool. If anyone hasn't ever played it, I, I do recommend it. And then we had mentioned before 1996's Power Rangers Zeo Battle Racers, which, and this is weird because at this point in time, I was still watching Power Rangers, we just did our whole run of Zio episodes. I was still into Zio and I was still playing video games at this point, but I, as best as I can remember, I don't think I even knew this thing existed. And this was 96, right? Yeah. This game came out. I think there's, there, again, I'm postulating here as well too. One of the reasons to that might be is that that's towards the end of the Super NES's life cycle. They were most likely gearing up already for the Nintendo 64, which would come, uh, come next. And a lot of those times, some of those games get overlooked during that transition phase or as we're leading up to that transition phase as well, I knew nothing about it. And then you showed it to me and I saw the maps and I said, oh no, Nintendo is a notoriously litigious company. (laughs) I hope they didn't find out about this because I'm not going to say anybody stole assets, but my goodness, a lot of that just looks like Mario Kart. Yeah. A lot of it, like more than a, a coincidence, I think. Not that I'm accusing anybody of anything, but wow, striking similarities. For sure. Side note, if you could just raise the mic a little bit, uh, raise it through, up. through the arm there. Yeah. With my, from that part. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then maybe just, well, maybe a little bit lower just so, yeah, perfect. Thank you. Nailed it. Uh, so with the Zio, with the Zio game, uh, like I said, it really had no, I don't think I even knew it existed. Yeah. And then I played maybe about 30 seconds of it. And that was enough because yeah, it's, it's basically Mario Kart with, it's, with yeah. the with the Rangers on cycles. Now, yep. again, we just did three episodes on the Zio season. And to prepare for those episodes, I watched or rewatched, I would say about half of those 50 Zio episodes. Now, maybe them on cycles was part of episodes that I skipped, but even if that's the case, that's still not kind of like a dominant theme in this season. So it's, well, it's, it's just so weird to me because that's not at all. And there are like with future seasons of Power Rangers where motorcycles are more heavily featured as well too, which is even like, it's just funnier in retrospect when you, when you look at it like that. But yeah, it even uses that same, um, it's called mode seven, that kind of, uh, faux 3d almost you're getting on the super nintendo that kind of like same technology so it really does look uh the same a lot of those maps as mario kart so i i legitimately didn't know this existed and uh i'm love that you showed it to me it really tickled me yeah it makes me not to be a downer it makes me sad because the idea that we there was a zeo game that was as i've talked about that was the last season that i watched and i i has a special i have a special place for it and so I would have loved to have discovered a Zio video yeah. game that that was more akin to the other games that we played. So it's it's just kind of weird. I don't know, and I would be curious, and if anyone knows the history of the development of it, like how they landed on. I would love to know that. That because it was basically just again just shoving Power Rangers and Mario Kart together, and that's that's really. I mean, that's all it is. It's just your Rangers on the cycles, and you're you know, and you're, I think you're like there is some fighting along the way, but. Well, we're, we're, you know, this is kind of getting to the bigger picture of, of all the games as well, too. But the 90s specifically, you know, always to an extent, but the 90s specifically to me are the era of uh, licensed tie-in games, right? Where you got a combination of games that were way too hard for children. Uh, if anybody out there has played Lion King for Super Nintendo, you already understand what I'm talking about. The I Can't Wait to Be King sequence with the elephants still haunts my dreams. <laughs> um, so, but, and also you would get things that, were clearly just kind of put together to hopefully make some money, right? And I think that Zio Kart Racer is kind of that idea as well too. Like kart racers are great. People like those. Look at Mario Kart. We can do one. Um, However, I don't think the first one that we're discussing, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers game, however, I think is definitely not in that category. No. As well, too, which I'm happy to report uh, as as well, depending how in-depth we want to go necessarily with that. But 
I think Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the game is a game that is fine and is good enough. And that's what it needs to be because it arrived at the right moment. So I think it would have been very, very easy for that first Power Rangers game to be something like the Power Rangers Neo Racer that we just talked about, right? It would have been very easy to slap and put it out. I'm not saying that Power Rangers, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers game is an all-timer. It's going to be on uh, somebody's top 20 best list of Super Nintendo games of all time. But I am saying that if you were a kid in the 90s and you loved Power Rangers, which who among us didn't? I mean, clearly, you know, it's one of those things where, boy, you, you had to be there during that time period as we're well aware, we're still there. We're here talking about it, right? Um, you would have picked this up and you would have had such a good time. It was that this game was good enough where it rose to be able to pass the smell test and let the imagination and the property in the universe do the rest of the heavy lifting. And that almost sounds like it's an insult, but it's not because so many games just could not do that, right? So many games still can't do that. They just released a Lord of the Rings game last week and it is sitting at like a 30% out of 100 on Metacritic because it's a hot mess. Some people still can't do it. So I think the fact that they created a game that was, again, maybe a little narratively not there, but was fun to play, colorful, good music, some good jams in this game as well too. You know, I was tapping my toe over there as I was playing, which is always a good sign. But they made it good enough where... You could play this and be like, oh yeah, I'm a Power Ranger. And I think they succeeded in that, especially of the era. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC movie rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show, too. Thank you. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. Oh Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations— Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw Yeah! You hit the nail on the head. I think good enough is is kind of the perfect way to describe this because, yeah, there's enough there to appease, especially a kid in the 90s who's who's loving Power Rangers on TV. You get to to play as as all five Rangers, yep. right? You could pick your Ranger at the start of each level. You play unmorphed and then morphed. The last two levels are Zord fights, so Pretty you get cool. that piece of it. Uh, the music, uh, for sure is, is a, you know, is a, you know, a, a big plus. And we get vocals in yeah. the beginning. That's, was it still a rarity at that time on oh. the Super Nintendo? Actually hearing some vocals and uh, that eats up a lot of memory space, you know, and, uh, to actually have the go, go power Rangers in it. I thought that was such a good touch because it shows there was some care because they realized that that was such an important thing yeah. to have in there. So I thought that was a nice touch musically as well. That's the thing. I mean, this has come up a lot on the episodes that we've done looking at the old show and, and how critical that music was. And especially now that I've gotten to the point where I've looked at some of the original Super Sentai and 
And in a lot of instances, especially when we're just talking about the action footage, I mean, putting aside the uh, the, the the American actors dubbing over the, the footage, but even more so than that, it's the music. It's the music that just gives it a completely different vibe and makes mm-hmm. it feel like Power Rangers as opposed to Super Sentai. So yeah, the music was definitely a huge piece. So yeah, I, again, I think those pieces are all there and it, it works. And as I was playing it, I didn't have as moving an experience as I did when I went back to the death and return of Superman video game. Now in fairness, again, death of Superman got me into comics. So there's a lot more wrapped up there, but the other big difference is that there was that narrative in the death and return of Mm -hmm. Superman video game. You had those story points that were presented. And again, it was very static. It was in between levels. You'd get an image and some text. There wasn't a ton there, but there was enough that you felt the story was moving along I mean, I felt like the games were similar in that with Death and Return of Superman, you're playing, you're no, you don't have the option of selecting. No character select. Yep, that's correct. But over the course of the game, you are playing as Superman mm-hmm. and then as the four replacements. Uh, so at least you had that, but it utilized, whether it was the streets of Metropolis or Cadmus Labs or the ruins of Coast City, it utilized settings from the comic. So you felt like you were in that world. And again, the narrative was was moving forward as as bare bones as it was. And also who you were fighting in each level varied as well, mm-hmm. as opposed to here yep. <laughs> where it's just putty after putty after putty. Some of them have knives coming after children. That was a weird note, right? Yeah. I mean, they do differentiate. <laughs> it got aggressive their, quick. <laughs> like there are some different colored putties, yep. which again, there's no basis for that in the show, which that's not to say the game can't do it, but I don't know. I, I, I didn't love that aspect of it. And, and yeah, some of them are throwing daggers. Some of them are more powerful. They take more blows. To and they, they did that with the different colors and those abilities to like change up gameplay. But then like you said, if you're a Power Rangers fan, you'd be like, wait, like they're not that color. They don't do that. Uh, looking at both the Superman game and this in a nutshell, I think if you were somehow impossible and you definitely wouldn't be listening to this podcast, if this was the case, didn't know anything about Superman and didn't know anything about Power Rangers. If you knew nothing about either of those games, and you rented both of them from Blockbuster, right? You had them, you're like, all right, it's going to be a great Friday night. I got some Pizza Hut. I'm ready to go. Let's do this. You would have, I think, a more complete, better experience with that Superman game versus the Power Rangers game, right? Because you don't have any of that narrative. So the Power Rangers game is good enough, but it does rely on that just hype, prior knowledge and nostalgia. Because if not, you're just playing like a competent game. Yep. And that's fine, but it's not going to have that hooks in you. So I think it really is dependent on you being a Power Rangers fan. And I mean, clearly, like I said already, who wasn't, you know, uh, of the era and of the age? No, but your your point is well taken about how it sort of rely the Power Ranger game relies on this assumption and ultimately a correct one, I think, that the kids playing this will fill in the gaps themselves, right? So, yep. so, so there is that, but I guess I just keep going back to, and I don't mean to keep going back to the Superman game, but folks, it's I've, literally, I've played all of three different video games <laughs> in decades. It's a gamer. So. Twitch, Twitch channel coming soon. <laughs> Get ready. Here we go. We're doing so, it. So as far as frame of reference, but I do think these are fair, you know, these are kind of uh, games that are fair to compare, especially in the, the time period and, and all of that. But it's like, it just, it didn't take much in that Superman game. It didn't take much to just put a little meat on the bone and make mm-hmm. you feel like you were following something. And and I guess I would have appreciated that. Or, I, again, I, I, I'm i glad that we at least had the Zord battles, but, you know, as you're, as you're watching it, you know, even just, just a shot of Zordon, you know, telling them what's going on or something like yeah, that. I or mean, Goldar. It, Gold, it, like, Goldar is one of the bosses. It's, it's crazy to me. And you think that would have lent itself perfectly. Like, you literally have a talking head with Zordon. Yes. Right. It's literally like what a layup that is. Just, you know, have him tell him what to do and then you're off to the races. But uh, I'm sure it was a constraint issue. I'm sure maybe who knows? Again, I'm, you know, no insider information here, but I always like to speculate, as you know, maybe, you know, uh, having like the vocals and the soundtrack and the music and the intensive soundtrack or maybe some of the graphics and colors they're using. Maybe there just wasn't room or space. Maybe it was a time constraint and they decided that wasn't the most essential thing to put out. Because again, this is a game that came out at the perfect time as well. And that's not an accident. Right. Right. Like that didn't just happen by coincidence. Like this kicked off and they must have known, hey, we need a Power Rangers game right now because it is going to sell buku bucks. So, uh, you know, I'd still, again, I'd be curious to know why that was uh, left out. But uh, again, it, it did show up at the right time. I'll say that. It, it did. And I think, you know, I wanted to do an episode on this because 
it was a big part of my childhood and a big part of my admittedly limited video game history. And, you know, we always, we always reference the toys and obviously the toys are a huge part of the Power Rangers experience. And it is a way to take these characters and concepts and storylines and literally put them in your hand and you can act them out. And that's huge. But this, this was a whole other component where you're playing as the Ranger. And so you're, maybe it's kind of like a blend between like playing with the toys and watching the show. It's like, there's, you know, there's still that play aspect, but you're, you know, you're, you're watching it unfold. And so Mm -hmm. I felt like it kind of blended those worlds together. So, you know, as, as we talk about it, as much as I might, I might dwell a little bit more in our conversation on the limitations of this. Uh, I really did love it at the time. Like at the time as a kid, this was exactly what I needed it to be. Yep. And even playing it now, it brought back a lot of those memories and it, there, there was an aspect of it that was definitely a lot of fun. Uh, let me just lay out real quick for people who don't remember the game or, or maybe, maybe never played. So uh, seven areas or levels in this game. So we have downtown Angel Grove. You fight Bones at the end. Uh, then the industrial dist- district, Gnarly Gnome is the big bad. Then it's the sewers with Eye Guy followed by the uh, skyscraper under construction. You fight Genie. Yep. Uh, Area five is the cave hideout. You fight Dark Warrior. Uh, then for area six, six and seven are both uh, Zord battles, yep. right? Okay. Correct. So the offshore oil refinery is area six. Uh, Mutitus? Mutitus? I don't know. Mu- Mutitus? Mutitus sounds better. We'll go with that. And then Area 7, this was cool. Rita's Moon Palace, you're fighting on the moon. Something and, recognizable, pretty cool, right? And it's Cyclopsis, and there's two different forms. And what was what I really liked about that was, uh, you know, the show never did that. The show never had a battle outside of the palace on the moon. Right. But once and always just did. Yep. Uh, so it was cool, you know, on the one hand, that they kind of took you to a place that you didn't get to in the original show. Yep. Uh, so at the time, that was, you know, like a, a pretty a cool, innovative choice. Uh, but then also now having just watched once and always, I was like, oh yeah, like right on, like that's where you have the battle. So that's the overall, you know, flow of the game. Yeah. And again, uh, pretty short, this is like a lot of games of the time and era. It's a short runtime. If either you have a bunch of cheats activated or you're good, uh, <laughs> if not, then of course it'll take you substantially longer, but uh, with your, with cheats and everything turned on, you have, should have no trouble getting through this game in couple hours at most hour and a half hour maybe depending if you're really really good but uh, again i think it got it gets in it gets out it does what it needs to do um when are we going to talk about how dirty they did our boy billy in this game though that's my my chief and biggest complaint is uh how they handled our dear sweet billy that's where i was going to go next Wait, so Perfect. i guess my first question did you play as all of the rangers yes okay, so too. i would basically just kind of rotate a ranger for each level do the sampler pack Essentially kind of get a feel for everybody. And this is the OG lineup. So this is Jason, yep. Zach, Trini, Kimberly, and Billy. And uh, I I guess this cuts both ways. We'll talk about your, your feelings towards Billy's treatment. But what I did like was as the civilian rangers, I felt like they're, they really did differentiate. Yes. And you felt like you were playing as each of those characters. Um, you know, Zach definitely. I played as Zach first. I was really riding the high of once and always and really into Zach and uh, you know, I felt like you felt, you know, his, his flair versus the more, you know, technically proficient martial arts of Jason and, the, uh, more of the gracefulness of, uh, and the, you know, the, the flexibility and dexterity of, of Kimberly or Trini, uh, with Billy and I'll toss it to you. I, I instantly felt less powerful mm-hmm. the second I started playing as Billy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he literally cowers as he throws a punch, which I thought was a step too far. And again, totally agree. They programmed each of these characters to have individual sprites, reactions. It's no small thing, right? That's a, a beautiful uh, act of dedication and you know effort put into that that I appreciate. But they just made him look so weak and almost like a joke character until he morphs, right? Where, you know, Billy being the brains of the operation, it's like, oh, no, he's a nerd, so he needs to be weak. Instead of like, hey, he's really cerebral and smart. Maybe we can find some other way to express that through his animations, as opposed to just having him be terrified every single time he engages in combat with a putty. Yeah, it was not it was not the best treatment uh, for for Billy. I mean, that's that's fair to say. Um, I did like when you morphed. You know, you felt more power. Yeah. Right. And, and then you also had the weapons to draw from with I the, whether the sword or the, the battle axe. I love that they uh, gave you that big epic transition, but then literally empowered you by giving you a weapon when you didn't have one before. That's uh, a, a great choice as well. 
yeah, that was really neat. I, I, I dug that a lot. Uh, I did. Yeah. I played as all of the, all of the Rangers. I did start with, no, I started with Zach. Yeah. Uh, and then did you have a favorite Jason? Uh, I, you know, I got to tell you, I really liked, and then this carried through with the movie game as well. I really liked as Kimberly morphed the bow, the bow and arrow. Get some good range. with That, that was too. cool. Yeah. It's cool. And that that's cool because it gives you a different way to play more so than anything else. So that I think is cool. I like, uh, the range of Zach's ax yeah. as well too is fun, which is, uh, which is pretty cool. But yeah, now uh, I think those two are the standouts. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Did you, I mean, as far as the, the various areas here that you have to make your way through, and again, you're just fighting these variations on putties, which, you know, might feel like a weird criticism because it's like, well, who else would they fight along the way? Right. So in fairness, I mean, putties follows, definitely make sense. It follows the structure of an episode. Yeah. All it, of it, right? Like they start out as humans fighting the putties. They morph as ranger and fight the big bad. And then at the very end, then you're in the Zord. So there is that structure that it follows, which is, you know, cool. At least they paid homage and understood that structure. But yeah, who else are they going to fight along the way, really? That's unfortunately limiting, though, from a video game standpoint. Like, that's the thing. I think it just ultimately felt, it just got repetitive yeah. really quickly. And then the set, the settings, again, unlike, not to keep going back to the Superman game, but they're, you know, they're pulling from the comics. So it's like, okay, it makes sense that we're in Metropolis, we're in Cadmus, we're in Coast City. Here, you know, you were on the streets, we're in, again, the, I mean, I guess the industrial area tracks well yeah. enough from what we see on the show. You're in a skyscraper at one point as well too, right? It's just, they were more generic yeah. uh, areas, right? I wasn't ever excited to be like, oh, and uh, I wonder if there was, and the show was still, you know, young, you know, and, and early off, uh, but I wonder if, there would have been such a bigger difference if there were fights like outside of school at like Angel Grove or you know, using some of those locations. Um, and I don't know even like how many locations they would have to pull from, but even if we just got like a few in there, I think that's a very good point you made because it would make a difference because then you could be like, oh man, like the putties like showed up on the front lawn of the school. Like, this is so cool. Like what would happen if I was my school? Like, you know, I would defend it as well too. And, you know, I think it lends itself to more imaginative association with that. Were there any settings that you particularly liked or disliked? Because I got to tell you, I hated the swimming portions. Uh, welcome to video games, my friend. <laughs> there is, <laughs> and anybody out there who's a video game fan just laughed, I promised you, right now. Yeah, swimming in games to this day is hard because you're asking uh, the video game designers and then the player to, you have learned to play this game up until this point, up until this way, and now you're the physics are so different where you're playing a completely different game. Uh, notoriously, in the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game on the NES, there is a water level that is so difficult. The dam, uh, if anybody listening knows this, please shout us out because this is the stuff of nightmares where you're playing as, uh, I believe, just the turtle swimming through and you got to try to swim precisely, but there's electric seaweed and bombs go off and it is impossible. And I, it probably caused more temper tantrums for children than just about anything that year. Uh, swimming in games is rough. It is rough. Uh, it's gotten better as time goes on. Uh, Horizon, uh, for Horizon Forbidden West just came out. They did a better job with swimming in that. But even some people were just like, eh, you know, it's still difficult. You're asking basically for people to make a different game inside of a game, right? Because you're in a completely different environment with different physics. Uh, yeah, I didn't like the swimming, but I think my bar is so low that at least I was able to get through it and I didn't have an aneurysm and didn't have to throw a controller. Not that it's the kind of gamer I am anyway. Um, but yeah, they're not fun. It kind of just feels like a chore, right? It's like, let's get through this and I'm excited when I get back on land. Were there any stages that you particularly enjoyed? Uh, I mean, it's a cop-out to say, but I think the first, the novelty in the beginning of my first time playing, the first stages going through and kind of getting my bearings is always fun. And then the last, just, I mean, if you're asking of overall, just the spectacle of the Zord battles, the difference between that, though, it's funny because it almost sounds like I'm contradicting myself here, but I'll stand by this because you are doing something different now because you're playing as a Zord, but you're still engaging in physical combat on a 2D plane the adjustment to scale and size and some new moves and the health bars appearing and all that stuff, I think is a much smaller ask than throwing somebody in the water and being like, okay, figure out how to navigate and to swim. So just like you said, the spectacle of those endings, everything else, I'll be honest with you in between, 
I could take it or leave it. Uh, I think it's fun because we both looked at our list to go over what the stages were. And I think that also tells a lot about that nothing's really particularly memorable other than our first experience and then fighting as the Zords, right? Yeah. I like the cave. The, the cave, last, okay. The last uh, okay. before the Zords. I did like the cave just because it was different. But but yeah, I mean, nothing that, that totally you know really stood out. So, uh, oh, oh, you know, I meant to ask you, I don't know if this was just the emulator that I was playing on or the game itself that none of the on my screen uh none of the big bads until we got to the to the zord fights had health meters no so that was well I also played on an emulator uh that I thought was a design choice it happened to me too uh so I would assume if both of us that happened again if anybody listening or watching knows different I'd be curious to hear I thought that was a choice by the designers to show, hey, like, look at the scale of this thing. Here's its life bar. You got to get it down. Add some more like, okay, I got to chip it down, some more of that urgency to it. But no, the same thing happened uh, as well too, right? I thought that was a big change for the end. I encountered no life bars, which I like. Oh. I uh, Again, that's a UI, which is basically the way you, you look at games and kind of um, take in the information a game is telling you is always like a very interesting and hot topic. Some people think less is more. Some people like seeing that life bar. Uh, I like it when games can kind of give you those clues that like you're getting towards the end of a the boss, their animations change. The old school thing of that era is like sometimes they flash red. So that's when you know and you're excited. But yeah, I mean, I thought it was a design choice. But again, if anybody knows differently, maybe we both just got something funny on the emulator no i mean i yeah i mean i don't i don't i don't remember so it's hard to say but uh yeah i mean i guess i wasn't thinking about what you just articulated the effect that it has and i guess creates a little more mystery right it's it's you know i guess maybe it kind of pulls you in a little bit more because you're not just looking at that bar you're just in the midst of the battle Mm -hmm. did you so all of the the villains were from the show did you did you recognize them as you were going through no uh, so actually, well, maybe the, the skeleton top hat guy, I yeah. thought I saw in an episode before as well too. Uh, I'm going through again to look at some of them. Yeah. Um, he stood I, out the most. I called him skeleton Zorro in my notes. <laughs> I want you to know, I wrote down, uh, like names that aren't their names for all of them. Like the stage two boats I have as Viking gardener. Um, so that shows that they didn't exactly stand out, but you know, that's the thing about power Rangers villains too. I feel like there have been so many, it's so easy, at least for me to not remember, unless it's something like wild, like a lip sync, right? Like that's a villain that's just so insane that I'll always remember for the rest of my life, right? So that's, uh, so no, a lot of them uh, didn't cue my memory or uh, or leap out, except maybe maybe the first boss. I do, he he was in one of the earlier episodes of the show. I think that might be why. Yeah, no, I I hear you. It's, uh, again, not not to play Monday morning quarterback, but I was saying to myself, and actually, you know what, let me ask you the, just in terms of the timing of this. So- Game came I, out in 94. I thought right? I had written this somewhere, but uh, yeah, never mind. I might be thinking of something else. But what, what I kept going back to was, and I, I suspect that maybe this was a time thing. Like maybe this wouldn't have made any sense. No, I think that, see, this is the thing. I think the timing of this could have worked, but depending on how long it takes to develop the game, which I'm assuming is quite a lengthy, involved process. But the Green with Evil storyline, this is where I'm going here. The Green mm-hmm. with Evil storyline, which of course introduced Tommy, it's where we started this podcast, uh, is very early on in the Mighty Morphin season. It starts with like episode 18 or something. So yeah. like we're, it was very early on. And I just, I kept going back to the idea that if they had adapted that, yeah. there are so many different places you can go. Obviously you can fight Tommy. They could have let you play as Tommy. You could have had a Dragon Zord battle. You could have had... The whole sequence where Jason unmorphed has to fight Goldar. I'm surprised we didn't get that game anyway. Yes. To be honest with you, and just make a green with evil game. That would have just been dynamite. I feel like it would have sold, uh, again, like gangbusters. It seems like a layup. Yeah, you know, and again, it's something we won't know, right? I'm always so fascinated about developing stories. You ask, you know, depending how long it takes to make a video game. Uh, (laughs) The question I would pose is how long does it ethically take to make a video game? You know, one of the big debates in the video game industry is what's known as crunch where companies will either mandate or 
allow developers to spend, you know, 20 hours a day working on a game because it's their passion. So, uh, again, how long it takes to create a game is entirely up to the individual people and the ethics involved where we can all agree that nobody should be killing themselves making a video game and spending that much time away from their friends and family. But I would, again, I would be curious, especially in the nineties, nobody even had the term crunch. And I'm sure with this much money on the table, how soon did they realize coming over from the source material to America that this was going to be the hit that it was? My guess is as soon as they realized and had an inkling is when this game kicked into development, if I had to make a guess. So I was I was trying to find it in my notes, but I remember now what I, what I come across, that this game came out, it was right around the time that Tommy was becoming the White Ranger on the show. Interesting. So again, I just, I wonder, you know, if there would have been enough time where this could have been a Green with Evil game. And I think... I think that would have solved basically all of the problems I would have had because it would have it would have given you a, an actual plot to follow and it would have given you some more variety so it's not just the putties all, all along. And that's that's tough, right? Because this game comes out and it's like the very first Power Rangers and at that time we're all just I mean, listen, love all the Rangers. We all love the Red Ranger too to death. But let's be real here. When Tommy showed up, it was the Tommy show. So right when he's becoming the White Ranger, that was it. That was the coolest thing. I'm sure we all, just like me, had his toy talking sword and everything like that that we were running around using. I used to love that thing. Um, but that's what we were all about. And then you're, oh, there's a Power Ranger game. Oh, Tommy's not here. Yeah. And that's nobody's fault, of course, because it takes time to create these things. But that's tough. That is tough to be behind that uh, eight ball and behind that trend. And you're always going to be chasing that. And you're always going to be behind if you try to do that, too. So I don't even know how you solve that problem. So maybe that's a good segue to the game that I even I had an even bigger problem with, which was the movie game. Yep. Now, the movie game reflects what where the show was at that point in time. So now you do have Tommy, and you have Tommy as the White Ranger. Yes. And you also now have Rocky, Adam, and Aisha in place of Jason, Zach, which and is Trina. crazy because if you think about it, we never get a Green Ranger. No. No. Isn't that wild? Yes. And the Green Ranger was like the coolest thing. They, ever, right? Took over all playgrounds <laughs> that we were at. Oh, I want to be the Green Ranger, right? That was it. So yeah, it's it's wild to me when you look at that. And we actually have some experience talking about this time period a little bit for some of our previous episodes here on the show, right? We talked about how those actors signed up and that whole behind the scenes thing that went with the movie and all that stuff as well too. And this definitely was part of a, a calculated push with the movie. You know, you always want to line up those releases, of course. So I got a side note though. I, I, I when we did our different shade of pink episode where Kimberly leaves. I referenced the episode that you and I had done because it was just, it was so fascinating to see the complete opposite situation where here you had, you know, everybody was on the same page. They were able to arc Amy Jo Johnson out of the show. Yeah. They didn't have to work around her not being there. You had a proper handoff to her successor. It was just night and day. But like we said in our episode on Rocky, Adam and Aisha, they did as good a job, I think, as they could having to work around the absences of those actors. And I'll say this, if for some reason you have not listened to that episode, uh, I people saw me tweet this notoriously, but whether you're a Power Ranger fan or not, I think it is one of the most fascinating behind the scenes TV film stories of all time. I mean, just fascinating. So I encourage you to go listen to that episode and do some digging. For sure. But so with the, with the movie game, I, I, I guess... I really need to just take a step back and just recognize, hey, the movie was coming out. Like you said, they wanted the cross promotion. You slap movie on it and there you go. But it was just so frustrating. And I did play this one all the way through and, you know, gotten, you know, further than I did when I played as a kid. I can't remember where I, where I tapped out. Did as you a kid. love that the beginning says featuring Ivan Ooze? Yes. That tickled me. I well, just, that, that really tickled me. I don't know why. It's like, oh, I have an ooze. Okay. Well, like, <laughs> that's the one damn connection that this right. thing has to the movie. So right. it's like, at least they had that. It's, it's, that's why they had to throw it on there, I'm sure. But it's just funny. Watch Reek all these years later. It's <laughs> Power Rangers, the movie game, featuring Ivan Ooze. It's like, oh, okay. Shouldn't that be a given? Right? You would, you would think. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think ultimately you have to look at that game just as a, as a sequel to the, to the previous game that we were talking sure. about. Because very, very similar, again, side-scrolling, beat-em-up, same kinds of stages where you're going through the streets and skyscrapers and things like that. Not I'm, identical, I have but a very funny similar. note about one of the levels in that game. Um, okay. So uh, one of the, and you'll know this name too, uh, 
Bandai and Bandai Namco, yep. right? Who also go on to publish uh, games to this day, right? A whole bunch of a whole bunch of games. Uh, I just found it so funny in the supermarket level in that game as you're playing. It's just like on the signs, everyone that just says Bandai, Bandai, yes. Bandai. They just like wanted to put their name out there, so they just put it on the supermarket for seemingly no reason. I thought that was a weird little quirky thing that they had. Yeah, no, that was funny. That was funny. So again, very, very similar. And again, you're starting off unmorphed and then you morph and you've got your, yep. your big bad at the end of each level. A couple of things. And then I'll, my, you know, my main, my main complaint again is about the lack of narrative slash connection to the movie. But uh, the other thing that really struck me was I felt like this game was a lot more punishing in terms of that health meter where there were these like little, little units or little squares. And I felt it was like five blows and you were out. And a part of me wonders if that's a balance issue because it's also supposed to be co-op, right? Any game should be able to be played single player or with however many players they're allocating. A good game will balance that. Oh, you're playing as one player, right? I wonder if maybe, again, uh, we're Monday morning quarterbacking here, as we like to say. I wonder if, you know, with the push to get this game out and quick, 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 I wonder if it needed some more time for calibration, right? Where to get that balance of, oh, okay, you're just playing by yourself. Either let's add more health drops. Let's ease up on enemies, multiple enemies on screen at, screens at once. You're not always going to have two players, right? So a part of me wonders if that's part of the problem here. Because I would imagine with the second player, it becomes considerably easier if they're not adjusting the amount of enemies. Even with those limited health drops, you're at least pulling pulling aggro, as they say in the gaming teens. You're aggravating the other enemies to come at you, right? So all the enemies that are coming after you, now only half of them are coming after you because they're also coming after me. So that inherently makes it a little easier. So I wonder if it's a balance issue. No, that's a good point. I guess that would help account for it because yeah, I mean, look, it made no difference to me. I had my cheat codes, although yeah. I did, I started without any. I was like, oh, I'll see how far I get. And I didn't even make it through the first level. <laughs> so. Fair enough, man. No shame in that game. Listen, I always say we're, we're in our thirties, we're dads. There's no shame in our game over here, you know? Yeah, but you know, so that was one of the things that, that definitely stood out. I also, I'm kind of split on this. I don't, I didn't really love the idea of needing to collect the lightning bolts to power up so that you could do your special moves. And again, I eventually got to the point where I just used the cheat code with unlimited sure. energy and then sure. I was morph morphing and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Did you like that aspect of it? Um, it is boilerplate for games of that era. And I understand why they would want you to do that. It feels earned. And again, it's a balance issue though. I think probably the game, I'd willing to bet the game didn't even necessarily felt easier. It probably just felt more balanced when you were able to do your special moves all the time to account for all the enemies that were constantly, you know, getting a few hits on you and you were done as well too. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, again, I think it's of the day, you know, you collect enough shiny things, you get a reward. Right. That's so much of what, uh, you know, overly simplistic, but so much of what games are. Right. Um, but that being said, yeah, I mean, I understand why you want to turn on the special moves right away, especially if you're getting clobbered over there, you know? Well, and kind of on that note for both games there, I mean, I guess you would still call the special moves when they're morphed, when they can sort of, uh, or what do you call it? You can like clear the field. Yeah. yeah just, this, you're, you're clearing the field. You're getting rid of all the enemies in the field. Yeah. You know, I like that. And obviously we saw something very similar in this, in the Superman game. At the same time, there's a part of me that's like, those aren't powers that they have yeah, on the show. So, well, again, and that makes me wonder too, are they using assets from uh, other games in their library? Right. And good enough. Let's get it out. It has to be out when this movie's out. Like it doesn't matter. Like regardless, it has to be out at a certain time. You know, you always wonder about stuff like that, but yeah, to me, if you can't have something as basic as the moves of the characters that you're playing as that we all know and love, it's almost like why make a Power Rangers game at that point? Yeah, for sure. Right? I, one of the things that stood out, I don't know, I know you just, you played a little bit of the movie game. I don't know if you got to this point. One of the levels you're snowboarding. That was wild. It's the nineties, man. Yeah. Come on now. <laughs> and weirdly enough, when I was, when I had my PlayStation, I actually, I was into all of those snowboarding games. Uh, tell me you played uh, SSX Tricky. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Number one gamer, Anthony. That's it. I And it's. Because those games are, that game is awesome. That I mean, game is awesome. I have never snowboarded or skied or anything in my life, but those games really appealed to me. So I, for a brief moment, I, I, it was. Again, it was weird. It's like, why are we doing this in this game? But gotta I was, shred the gnar. You gotta shred the gnar out there, man. <laughs> but the, it just, it, it, you know what? It 
disappointed me, I think, more than it annoyed me because especially having very recently gone back to that Mighty Morphin movie, and there are so many settings and set pieces and characters that they could have incorporated and actually, again, constructed a narrative and, and given you something that actually felt like you were playing a movie version of, of the game of the, or playing a game version of the movie where, uh, you know, we could have had the Tengu warriors mm-hmm. in lieu of the putties or at least a mix or at least alternating or something. Yeah. So even in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game, right, that just came out, uh, that was, you know, a huge success. It wasn't just the Foot Clan and Foot Soldiers. You had the Mauser robots. You had all these different varieties. You need variety. Yeah. You need variety and not just level variety, but actual enemy variety as well too, to keep it interesting, right? Yeah. I mean, you could have sent the Rangers to the other planet that they had gone to, to find their new power source. Sure. We could have had, again, not to belabor the point, but but it was, I just felt even more egregious in this game where it was specifically marketed as an yeah. adaptation of something very specific. As opposed to the first game where it's just like, oh, here's a Power Ranger game. So it's like, okay. Can you imagine being a kid and seeing that movie and then like, oh yeah, I'm going to pick up the game. I'm going to play through it. And like, uh, this, none of this is the movie. This didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, the other world, the ninja costumes, the ninja powers, those, uh, those statues that came to life outside of the temple, those would have been great. The baddies to fight. That, this game, and again, full disclosure, I know nothing behind the scenes information, I would be willing to bet, though, that this game was in development as just a sequel to the first game. And then they said, oh, the movie's coming out. Slap it on there, right? Because what you just said lends itself so perfectly. And within the the limitations of the hardware at the time still would have worked perfectly for what you're saying, right? So what are the reasons could there possibly be other than, oh, maybe, hey, you know, bringing it back to what we said before. Maybe they were like, hey, we were behind last time with, you know, the timing of everything. We want to make sure at least this appears to be launching at the same time. So, hey, they got that with Ivan Ooze <laughs> on there at least, right? Look, to their credit, they at least threw in Ivan yeah. Ooze. Uh, there's no Zord battle. There's no Zord battle, except, although, and I, this is the, the, the thing that I was actually most pleasantly surprised by. So you, you defeat Ivan Ooze. And at that point, I'm assume like I put my controller down and I'm like, okay, now we watch the little wrap up here. Yep. But all of a sudden, the countdown. Yep. You have to escape before the base blows up. And I was like, all right. And so you got to move quickly and you're fighting putties and the various obstacles. Somebody along the played way. Super Metroid before that game. That game's <laughs> classic for uh, that is one of the best Super Nintendo games. Super Metroid famously has um, uh, that when you, you beat the main boss, suddenly a three minute timer goes on. And it's one of those classic as a kid, oh my God moments. I got to go. I thought this was over. I got to go, go, go. So, Pretty cool, paying homage to that. I think it's a nice sense of urgency and effect. Stressful it was, <laughs> as well. But it was yes. genuinely surprising. Yeah. And I was like, okay, fine, like we'll do this. And so you do get, in fairness, you get to the end and there's nowhere left to go. And I'm standing I'm like, okay, what's the thing? And you get pulled out by the Zord, yep. by the Ninja Megazord. Um, so at least it makes an appearance, but you don't get to play as it. Yeah, it's a step back considering we had the Zords in the first game, right? That's what I'm saying. And you look yeah. at the movie and we, you have that fight, the Zord fight with Ooze and his and his machines in the streets of Angel Grove. And then you go into space. You know, they, they could have done something so cool, but at least the, the, the Zord makes an appearance. And that's it. So, I mean, it just, that one, you know, look, if in an ideal scenario, if that first game could have been an adaptation of Green with Evil sure. and the movie game could have actually adapted the movie. Easy for us uh, all these years later to say that, of course, as well, too. But yeah. Yeah. But it, again, it was fun to play. I, like I said, I definitely had far more of an attachment connection memory yes. with respect to the first game. The second one, like I definitely, especially those early levels, I remembered, you know, well enough, but uh, it was not as ingrained in me as that, as that first game. So it was, I, I know again, as shared most of the complaints that I've had, but it, it was still fun to get back into that world. Yeah. The, the little time that it took to beat them. No, it, it is. And, you know, complaints aside and balancing issues with the side as well too, it wouldn't have been the worst. I think it's a step down from the first one, to be honest with you, but you're not going to, you're a Power Rangers fan in the nineties and you pick this up. You're not going to be mad at the game fundamentally. I think you're going to be mad that it's nothing like the movie, which is another conversation we touched upon. But yeah, I mean, I think fundamentally the game isn't broken, right? Uh, Maybe perhaps it's better off played with two players and it has those balancing issues. But uh, again, you know, considering this really was the time of 
licensing games, and there are so many poor licensed video games out there of that era. Uh, maybe my bar is a little lower than it should be even. But I do think this was a step back, but it wasn't a complete train wreck. It really, to sum it up, it's a missed opportunity. This game is just a giant missed opportunity is what it is. I think that's fair. But going back to where we started, your assessment of, of it being good enough, I, and I think that's true. I think it, it did enough of what it needed to do, yeah. especially at the time. So I, I, I do appreciate I'm glad, I'm proud that these games are part of my... My, yeah. my short video game history. Is there any aspect of, of either of these games we haven't talked about that, that you wanted to? No, I was uh, I was excited to really talk about just uh, the missed opportunity, like I said, in regards to the movie uh, and all of that. But I think we really hit the uh, the nails on the head. I would love to uh, find out if anybody has any information about the whole lead up and development of the game. Because wouldn't it just be the most interesting thing in the world that as much as we've discussed the whole just kerfuffle with the movie – if the game also had an interesting kerfuffle as well behind it too. So maybe I'll do some research as well uh, after this. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had mostly gone on Wikipedia and was mm-hmm. reading that. I, I didn't go, I didn't go that deep into it. So yeah, I'll, I'll echo what you just said. If anyone has any insight into this that they could share. Um, I think, you know, I, I suspect some of what you, you know, what you speculated on is, is probably the case. And, and that would kind of make sense if this was originally intended, the movie game in particular, as just more of a follow-up, and then they repurposed it and, mm-hmm. and threw ooze in there. But um, yeah, like I said, it's just knowing knowing what it what it could have been. It's like, oh man, and to your point, and I hadn't even really thought about it, but yeah, you're right. It's like, we did ultimately get Tommy. But it's like, you never had the Green Ranger. No, we never had the Green, isn't that crazy? And I bet you if you just asked Power Ranger fans to be like, hey, do you remember playing as the Green Ranger in like these Super Nintendo games? Most of them are like, yeah, of course, the Green Ranger was there. The Green Ranger had to be there, but he wasn't. It's a crazy statistic to me. Uh, again, missed opportunity. Yeah. Well, I thank you very much for playing these games and sharing your insight. Uh, it's always fun to talk video games, to talk with you generally, and especially to talk video games. Uh, for anyone who wants to connect with you on social media, where would you like to direct them? Absolutely. You can find me at Twitter and all social media platforms at j.remy, J-A-Y-D-O-T-R-E-M-Y. Let's talk Power Rangers. Let's talk video games. Let's talk comics. Let's have some fun. Right on. Well, thank you very much. Audience, thank you for tuning in. I always appreciate it. Make sure you come back in two weeks for our next all-new episode. Once a Ranger fan, always a Ranger fan. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.